Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by City Hall reporter Joshua Fector, business editor and editor and columnist Greg Jefferson. It's uh, Monday, May 3rd, as we're recording this, two days after uh, Election Day in San Antonio. Um, and I think the big takeaways were um, Mayor Ron Nuremberg was easily reelected. The challenge from Greg Brockhouse, um, the rematch didn't, was nothing like the first the first contest between the two of them. Uh, Nuremberg basically won by about a two to one margin. Um, the, the most dramatic election... Uh, and I think the one that drove a lot of the turnout, because we had uh, unusually high turnout in, in the first city election, was Proposition B, which was voters deciding on whether they wanted to m- eliminate collective bargaining for the San Antonio Police Union or keep it. Um, and uh, Proposition B, uh, it was a pretty remarkable campaign, what they were able to put together, but they lost by a little bit more than 2%, got nearly 49% of the vote. Um, and then the other big uh, story is the fact that you have uh, three council members Roberto Trevino, John Courage, and Jada Andrew Sullivan, who are all facing uh, runoffs. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. I wanted to start with the mayor's race. Um, Josh, you know, this was, I mean, the polls had kind of suggested this is where it was going, but it was, it was, uh, I mean, it was kind of remarkable for how uh, little drama there was uh, in this mayor's race. And and Ron Nuremberg just won easily. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's the widest margin that he's won the mayor's seat by, um, you know, in his career, you know, the the first two times he ran each time he went to a runoff. Um, obviously, last time he you know barely escaped the the runoff with Greg Brockhouse. And, you know, this time, you know, that wasn't the case. Like he got an early lead, you know, as soon as early vote came out and he held that lead for the rest of the night. And, you know, I, I, you have to think perhaps it, it's, it's because people are, are fairly satisfied with his performance during the pandemic. He's been able to, um, you know, basically get key parts of his agenda, um, rolling in this in this pandemic, I think of things like workforce development, which you know enjoyed um, pretty large margins um, back in November. Um, you know, people have kind of grown more familiar with him because he's been on TV every night um, or nearly every night of the pandemic. Uh, you know, delivering the state of the virus, and uh, you know, it can't be ignored that he basically ignored Brockhouse. So, um, you know, he deprived Brockhouse's campaign of oxygen. Brockhouse himself didn't have as much money as he needed. Um, you know, he didn't have the backing of the fire and police unions. And, you know, perhaps there wasn't that sort of wave of anti-City Hall sentiment yeah. that kind of fueled him in in the last race. Um, but, you know, something that I thought was interesting was that you you saw the... Um, the margin on Prop B be so narrow, but um, you know these same voters uh, went for for Nuremberg by you know yeah. habit of you know or, um, you know by sixty three percent. So you have to imagine there's probably either you know a lot of Democrats who didn't or you know sure. Democratic leaning voters who didn't uh, like Prop B, or that he was was bringing along. Yeah. Um, you know, some degree of independence and perhaps some conservatives as well. 
Yeah. One of the things that's interesting, and this, again, I think Prop B really drove the turnout, but if you just look at, at the numbers, I mean, Nuremberg uh, got, uh, we had we had a close to 18% uh, turnout for the election. I was looking at the 2013 election when Julian Castro was seeking his third term, and we had less than 7% turnout. Nuremberg got, uh, and I know our population has grown and our uh, pool of registered voters has grown in the last eight years, but nonetheless, Nuremberg got... 92,000 votes in this election. Castro in his, uh, you know, his, when he was seeking a third term, got about 29,000. So it's, it's pretty remarkable. And again, a lot of it has to do with just people coming to the polls because they were stirred up about proposition B. You know, I think even people who, who supported Nuremberg, some, at least some of them, I think would say that they may be, uh, didn't like the fact that he elected not to debate because it's really ultimately debating is about, something you're providing for the voters. It's not about whether you want to do it or not. Um, and so he, you know, he chose not to debate. He also chose not to take a stand on what was really the biggest issue on the ballot, Proposition B. Um, do you do you feel like because he won by such a big margin, is, is, the, is the lesson to future mayors or future mayoral candidates just don't debate and kind of don't get in the middle of any controversial <laughs> issues? Have, have, well, has I mean, the wrong lesson been imparted here? Yeah, I mean... I. I don't think this was like a huge discovery they made this time. I think anytime you have a mayor in a strong position uh, and they're facing weak opponents, there's there's always they'll either do minimal uh, debates or no debates at all. I mean, you saw something similar with Phil Hartberger in 2007. I don't think you know it wasn't a big revelation, Um, but yeah, I mean. Like, look, if I, you know, on election night, what struck me was, you know, looking at, I mean, you, you know, I think this counts as a landslide victory for, for Ron Nirenberg. I mean, just, you know, imagine yeah. what would have happened if he had embraced Prop B and thrown his support behind it, as he seemed to be flirting with, you know, months ago. If he had done that, I mean, you got to think that, you know, this would, this would be a completely different story today. I mean, Prop Prop B, I believe, would have passed yeah. if he'd openly embraced yeah. it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Well, that, and that, also, I'd, yeah. I'd also like to point out, like, and this is kind of separate from what you were asking, but I mean, you know, we have to keep in mind, like, this election wasn't just about, you know, about his handling of the pandemic, which I think, every, you know, a lot of most voters, I think, agree he did, you know, he handled it very well. He got the city through it. But I mean, you know, you have to keep in mind that. You know, this is taking place as uh, the economic crisis is fading. Uh, you know, the the unemployment rate is is slowly coming down. Uh, kind of industry is coming back to life, and you can feel it. Like there's this palpable feeling in the city. The anxiety is starting to pass really, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there seems to be. You know, you can kind of feel a resurgence. Uh, and it, you know, it's like indefinable. You can't really say how it helped him, but I think it definitely. You know, it definitely mm-hmm. helped it. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a factor we can't really, you know, can't gauge, but it's there. Yeah. And I, I, I was thinking about Bill Clinton, 96. I mean, he got he, in a midterm election. He, he his Democrats did so poorly that there were articles like, is he now completely irrelevant? I mean, it was assumed he was going to be a one term president, but the economy started to turn around, you know, and the, the same thing happened to Reagan, you know, in the, in the in the second half of the first term. And then, you know, the timing has a lot to do with these things. But I want to talk about Prop B. Prop B, um, you know, I, I don't think there's any doubt that for an organization like Fix SAPD, which has been around for less than a year, to just form, get this on the ballot, and then get, you know, they got about 73,000 votes uh, for, for the, in this election. Um, 
it was it was a remarkable achievement. But at the same time, you know what I what I what I sense from people who were on the side of Prop B is, you know, a, a lot of. Uh, excitement about what they accomplished, but then there's that heartbreak of getting so close and, and not pulling this off. And yeah, sometimes when you, you know, it's the thing about which they do say in sports, sometimes when you like lose in a blowout, it's just less painful, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, um, you know, in this case, um, as Greg, you know, mentioned, Ron Nuremberg stayed out uh, of the fray. They did get, Proposition B did get some high profile endorsements kind of late in the game. Julian Castro, Joaquin Castro, uh, Beto O'Rourke, Greg Popovich was quoted as saying he supported it. Um, uh, you know, I'm not yeah. sure, how, you know, we how, know how much impact that is. <laughs> but Josh, when you look at this, um, is there anything that it would, I mean, would earlier endorsements have made a difference or is there anything that Proposition B could have done differently from what you've seen that could have, you know, gotten them over the get the goal on you know i I've, i'm not quite sure like obviously like san antonio like is historically a pretty pro-police town where you know military city you've got a lot of uh you know uh veterans here you've got uh you've got basically sort of like this general sort of respect for authority so that's kind of like why i was a little bit shocked by the by the outcome but you know something something struck me on like one of their mailers um that that i received um which basically you know it ah, i'm trying to pull it out here um mm -hmm. but basically like what it what it said was this is not defund this is about accountability and like i couldn't help but like question why they were engaging on the defund argument at all yeah. uh, considering that that's just electoral poison to even bring that up yeah. um you know it's kind of like the inception thing you know if i if i you know tell you not to think about elephants what do you think about elephants <laughs> it's basically like this idea that like you know i'm i'm trying to uh, basically dissuade you of this notion that's already been planted in your head, essentially. That, yeah. Like if I'm bringing up defund, automatically you're going to be like, well, why are they bringing up defund? Right. Well, um, I'm going to pull out another weird. If you're trying to knock it down. I'm going to pull out another pop culture reference. The scene in Parks and Recreation where <laughs> Rob Lowe has his leg in a cast and Aubrey Plaza writes on it, please don't think about how much this is itching. <laughs> so, <laughs> go ahead i'm sorry yeah so yeah i i was i was i was questioning why they were engaging on def on the defund argument at all um you know i had heard from from some corners like some kind of frustration about like and, and maybe not frustration but just kind of bafflement um where you know they're framing this as in, about accountability when that that wasn't necessarily guaranteed by getting rid of collective bargaining yeah and instead perhaps like the way they could have framed it was just just a shot across the bow at the union yeah. just being like hey look the sapoa um sapd like we're watching you and basically framing that as a as a sort of um as as more of just sort of a direct hey like we're gonna um we're going to knock down the police union a, a peg or two and mm. it's and it's about and, and and it's actually about that as opposed to 
making sort of obscure arguments about chapter 143 and 174. And and as you alluded to, I mean, it was a complicated politics because you had some old school labor people, local AFL-CIO people who um, are, I think, are very sympathetic to the idea of police reform. They're not necessarily comfortable with all the tactics of the police union, but they, they believe in collective bargaining. And then you had on the other side, I mean, the weirdness for me of Greg Abbott just celebrating Proposition B's defeat. And I'm thinking like, you know, Greg Abbott in his history has never been like a real pro-union guy and he's never been a real like pro-collective bargaining guy. But but I, I understand that when it's, you're talking about uh, public safety unions, public, you know, uh, public sector unions, that, that the politics are a little bit different. But it's still a little bit strange how pro-union he was and how this is really necessary to kind well, of maintain morale and that sort of thing. I think, you know, police unions here and across Texas and the country, frankly, are are very good at creating the impression in the public mind that, you know, the the union is synonymous with the police force and they're interchangeable. And so I think when when we talk about police union, we're not, you know, a lot of people, they don't they don't think about the fact that this is organized labor. They think about this as, you know, these are cops I see on the street every day. And I think, you know, that that has a huge impact on, you know, support for a thing, you know, or opposition to a proposition. Um, Josh, I was going to ask you uh, before we move on to another topic, um, you know, even though the the police union ultimately won this battle, um, it was extremely close and nerve wracking for them. Do you think you've been following the collective bargaining process this year? Do you think that um, they will this will kind of uh, scare them or, or, uh, affect the way they approach negotiations because they just barely escaped with this victory. I think I, at first I thought, you know, when I saw that close result, you know, I, I thought this is, this is an, this will reinvigorate (laughs) the police union. Um, and like, they're going to become, you know, more, uh, more aggressive in the negotiations. Um, but I've kind of come around and, 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 and thought, you know, this is a really close call for them. And, you know, this does indicate that like a bunch of like, you know, half the city or half the people who voted in this election wanted to see change. And, you know, it was a close call. And the fact that it could get this close, that, indicates that perhaps if you know the police union doesn't agree to some of these changes they could wind up losing collective bargaining in a, in a later election so like i would i would predict that they would that they would actually start giving ground on some of these on these disciplinary changes that that would basically you know make it easier for the police chief to discipline um, officers accused of misconduct Oh yeah, no, just really quick. I was I was really struck by um, by Danny Diaz, who's the president of Sapoa. His his tone, at least early Saturday night, was really downbeat. I mean, he, you know, I think he recognized like the the how close the union came to losing this fight. And I just got to think that that is going to you know there, it, that's a hard lesson not to learn. I, I would think this this is going to have you know some effect on how they behave at the bargaining table and kind of in political races going forward. Another thing I, I want to mention here is, you know, obviously like this is the prop B was so close. I mean, obviously there's a lot of division in the city over this issue. And, you know, yesterday I followed 
Mayor Nuremberg around a little bit. And, you know, I, I talked to him about, you know, what he sees as his role. Is he kind of like the great uniter here? Does he bring everybody to the table for just kind of like uh, kumbaya or um, kumbaya is probably too strong a word, but just kind of like, Hey guys, you guys just sit down, like we'll get lunch or something like that. And just hash, like, let's just talk everybody and, and bringing people together to try to bridge that division. And, you know, he, he basically said, look, like my role in this hasn't changed. It's to create sort of like this environment where, where basically like fair contract negotiations can, can uh, take place, which translation means that like, he's basically looking at the contract as, as a way to sort of bridge this divide. If they can get these um, disciplinary changes at, at the bargaining table, that in his view will, will sort of ease a lot of the passions on, on either side, which I thought was an interesting answer. Covering some of these races, and we've got uh, Roberto Trevino, Jada Andrew Sullivan, and John Courage all facing runoffs. Which do you think uh, is in the biggest danger uh, of getting uh, unseated in the in the runoff? Basically, put D two at the at the top of the heap. There, Jada does does. Did, I mean, you can just tell by how many challengers she drew. Um, you know, she's her. She's got a former council aide, Jalen Mickey Rodriguez, who's who you know. Who amassed all of all of this money and 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 you know came out on top and in, in on Saturday. Um, so I mean, clearly, like she's in the most trouble. I'm interested to see how Courage's you know, runoff takes shape. Um, you know, everything that that Brian said was valid, um, but I just want to add that you know the, his district went for Trump in. Um, in uh, November, which I believe it's the only council district that fully did, uh, I might be completely wrong about that. Um, but the 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 interesting thing that that I mean, I, the one that I will be most closely watching is District One. I mean, Roberto Trevino facing um, you know Mario Bravo. Um, Trevino's an interesting character. Like over the past couple of, you know, he comes in as kind of this. Um, guy who's who's a little bit of like an arbiter of the new downtown like he's friendly with a lot of the major sort of downtown developers and in the past two years um you know kind of becomes uh you know sort of you know kind of starts posturing himself as sort of this progressive insurgent on council um you know that that seems to have alienated a lot of um you know a couple of the, at least a couple of the neighborhood associations, particularly Delview, who's unhappy with how he's handled the homeless issue. Um, and, you know, he's kind of been a thorn in the mayor's side um, for, for the past two years. Um, although he probably, he won't admit to being the thorn and the mayor wouldn't admit that Trevino is a thorn in his side. Well, the, the weird thing too, is that, that, that I was going to say that Mario Bravo is, is, you know, is, is a sort of prop progressive. And so it's interesting that he's, that he's been able to maybe succeed at uh, getting some people who are upset with Trevino for being, for being too progressive. And, and one of the things mm. that was, it was, that was uh, fascinating to me is that Mario Bravo was kind of involved in the kind of the, the sort of uh, formation of the fixed SAPD and didn't really you know, didn't take a stand, uh, or, uh, on, on prop B. I, I, I don't think he did. And I, and I know that Trevino, 
uh, Trevino was like the one council member uh, who really got behind Proposition B. So it, it's a it's a really kind of interesting and sort of a, it, it's sort of confusing politically in some ways. Would you say, Josh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I, I got the sense from um, that that it was kind of hard to see how that would would shake out. I mean, it's it's a fairly progressive slash liberal district. I mean, like it's 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 a part of town where the mayor is fairly popular, um, and yeah, it's you, you just kind of um, you just kind of have to wonder what exactly the the division is between between mario and and roberto trevino um ultimately um i think chasnoff is kind of right on about about that you know mario showed enough sort of strength that it it just gave people a a way to sort of whack at trevino yeah and you know i mean what when i look at this i think you know trevino one of the things that that was that he's done that was controversial i mean he was very, he was very involved in the Alamo Plaza uh, redevelopment plan. Was adamant about not wanting about wanting to move the cenotaph, um, which Ron Nurberg agreed with him, but ultimately gave in on that because he realized it wasn't going to happen. And so, if you're a conservative in District One and you think you 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 feel strongly that the cenotaph should stay where it is, um, how do you, you know when you, how do you look at this? I mean, you're you're probably going to dislike Trevino, or is Mario Bravo going to be the the person that you're gonna that you're gonna favor? So, um, uh, before we wrap it up, Greg, I wanted to get your when you look at these races, what's what's your what's your big takeaway from yeah, these? Yeah, I, I would love to say something super interesting and counterintuitive, but I'm afraid, <laughs> and I'm, I'm I hate this, I hate it, but I'm going to agree with my. Uh, with my colleagues on the oh, panel, man. I think uh, you know Jane Andrew Self. I know, yeah. Please, let's please, just nobody. I, I I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I think clearly. Um, I mean, look, she's Jane Andrew Sullivan was behind. <laughs> I mean, that's eighty-three percent of the people thing. voted for other candidates. So that's not a good sign, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, he's, you know, I think Jalen clearly has uh, the momentum here. I, I think. Uh, even at the fundraising level, you know, donors are going to be looking at him uh, with goo eyes, kind yeah. of. I mean, yeah. like those those who had maybe thought twice about, you know, giving to the opponent of an incumbent, uh, maybe they're less less reticent now. Yeah. Uh, so no, I mean, I think you know the the kind of wind is is it is at Jalen's back right now. Um, and yeah, like number two obviously would be uh, Trevino. And uh, and uh, Mario Bravo, and I think you know Mario was you know I, I think he he played it smart. I mean it's as a matter of principle, uh, you know he he helped you know put Proposition B in motion. Uh, as a principled organizer, he should have he should have stuck to his guns. Uh, but as a political candidate, you can you know I understand why he didn't do it. Um, yeah, it's a little unseemly, but um, it's you know, look, it, it was it was a polarizing issue, and I think you know he probably benefited by kind of keeping his mouth shut, and uh, you know Trevino's support for Proposition B maybe cost him some votes. Yeah, and, and, yeah and I think that's just the reality. Right. We're going to talk, uh, I think, in the, in the coming weeks about about some of the other races. Uh, you've got 
uh, you know, open seats in districts three and five. And I think that some of the energy that we saw with Jalen McKee Rodriguez, the young progressive energy in district two, we're also seeing in district five on the West side with Terry Castillo. And so I, I think you saw with, with both of these candidates that they were able to, uh, generate a lot of grassroots support and, uh, both of them were endorsed by Democratic State Representative Diego Bernal. And I think you'd have to say that both Terry Castillo and Jalen McKee Rodriguez are looking like the favorites to to win in their districts. And if they if both of them win, I mean, I think that this would, you would see a lot of uh, uh, new energy uh, on the council. And so I think that um, some of some of what we saw, I think with the Proposition B campaign, I think that you've seen that uh, the same thing playing out. Um, in those two districts. It's going to give us a lot to talk about over the next few weeks. We thank you all for listening. Hope everyone's doing well. And we'll be back next week. Take care.